Center for Worship. Okay, I have a couple of housekeeping items I'd like to go over before I get in the Word this morning. That'll give them time to get settled. First of all, I've been fully vaccinated. That's right. Uh, however, I am not housebroken yet. But in the event that I bite you during worship, you shouldn't contract anything. So I thought you should know that and be aware of it. I took the uh, Pfizer. It's a little less abrasive from what I can tell from the uh, Moderna. But uh, I didn't really have any issues. The second shot made me a little lightheaded and tired, but that was it. So uh, that, was, that was what I would recommend. Got mine through Ballot Health here at Elizabethan for the first one. They sent me the mall for the second one. So that, that is that. If, uh, so I'm pretty much done with mask wearing. I think I've pretty well been done, but I'm for sure done. I won't say I'll never put on a mask for somebody else's comfort or whatever, but uh, you know, just wanted to let you all know that. So close by. Second thing is this, and if you're a visitor here this morning, I'm sorry we've got to deal with this, but you know, church is a family. We've got a matter of family business. We'll be having a special call to church business meeting on Sunday morning, June the 6th at 10 a.m. in the sanctuary. There are three motions in the special call business meeting. So a couple things about special call business meeting. Can't bring up anything except what's in, in and laid out ahead of time to be brought up. Here are the three motions. First one, it's not a problem. To send Pastor Travis Tyler and Michael Berkner, which I know he's still 50-50 on if he can go or not, to be messengers at the 2021 annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention on behalf of Grace Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, June 13th through the 16th. I may end up be going by myself. Becky will not be going. She'll be in St. Louis helping with her mother, support her doing that. She needs that help because her mom recently fell and broke her hip and had to have a replacement. She normally goes with me as a messenger, but uh, Michael, you're not as pretty of a company to keep, but I'll take you if you can go. So uh, second motion is this, and uh, let me just say a quick statement about this. We have deferred this as long as we can, as I've been pastor. Our sign out front is deteriorating, <laughs> and signage is important. It is deteriorating externally. Pain is continuing to chip off, and letters are, are becoming uh, harder to see. Uh, it's, it's, I've noticed it gradually over the seven years I've been here, and I think that sign has been there for a good while. But it is also internally falling apart. The wiring and the wires inside have been dry rotting for some time, and we've been limping along to try to keep it going as long as we can because I hate the prices of the signs that we have to buy now. But here's the second motion. We put it off as long as we can. To adopt the bid from Snyder Signs to replace the large church sign as presented in the attached document. And you'll need to go get these out there. It's also in your uh, newsletter. Go get your newsletter today. So there's a question and answer section with that price. All the, where's the money coming from? All those details are in there. And then finally, the third one, and I think most of us in here might be happy about this one, to open the pool at the annex for a season trial from June 2021 to September of 2021. Please see the note and attachment. There are some things about that. Uh, it's not necessarily because of insurance constraints and things going to be open to just any family to take, but for Sunday school classes, small groups, next generation meetings, open up the pool over there. We're going to try it for a year. Some people in the church want it filled in. Some people want to see it open all the time. I don't know who's right. The only way we can tell is to have it open and try it for a season. And if we don't like it, we can always fill it in. Okay? So those are the three motions. That's the only three things we can talk about or vote on that day. So uh, you can be praying about that, doing the research. If you have questions, those are coming from the deacons. Please see a deacon or staff member so we can address those properly and make that business meeting run quick and smooth. Okay? All right. With that in mind, let's now take our Bibles. Turn with me to... Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We have been moving through the gospel of Luke now. If you're joining us for the first time or the first time in a long time. And as we have moved through chapter Luke, we have been seeing him reveal to us 
who Jesus is. And in the passage today, we're going to see a couple of unique things emerge. Uh, One of the things we're going to see emerge here is Jesus will highlight the important, or excuse me, Luke will highlight the importance of women in the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that for a second. So a word about women and ministry and support of of the gospel in Christ. Then we will see Christ giving the parable of the sower. And we're going to look at that closely. And then we'll see this interaction he has between his biological family, which I think in Appalachia, you know, in larger cities where churches are, the the community is kind of centered around gospel-centered community, which is good. But here in Appalachia, much of the community is centered around family. So it's an interesting twist here at the end of this for us here in Appalachia. I, I think a passage like this, you know, wherever the church and Christianity exist, no matter what culture or time it's in, it will offer an offense of some kind, which is why I think it, it testimony to its validity. It will be too liberal for some cultures, and it will be too conservative for other cultures. I think in our culture, it may be more too conservative for a lot of people, and yet too liberal for others in some church cultures, right? But we have to let Christ be Christ, let the Word be the Word, and listen and hear. So with that in mind, let's hear the Word of God this morning. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanne, the wife of Shaez, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them of their own means. After, and when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the pathway and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and it thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell in good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to you, It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that they, they, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now this, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The one along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, received it with joy. But those who have no root, they believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but also they go on their way, that they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar 
or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. He was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside the desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and can do it. May God add blessing to the reading of his holy, inspired, infallible word. And I pray he writes this truth on all of our hearts this morning. All right, first to start this sermon out, a word about women in gospel ministry. Uh, If you are keeping up with our weekly updates that go out every Thursday, we communicate with the body every Thursday. You either get a hard copy or you get an email. If you'll scroll all the way down to the bottom of the email, the last two weeks, Appalachian Baptist Network, which is a group of pastors and I, where we tackle uh, ministry issues here in the mountains and beyond, we talk about should women pastor. And the reason this has come up is because Rick Warren, who, who has heard of Rick Warren before? Many of you heard. They recently ordained three women to the pastorate at their church. Some of you shrug your shoulders and say, not a big deal. Others of you are horrified, and others of you still say, I don't understand why this is an issue. So let's talk about this for just a minute. Okay, first of all, Luke is the only gospel writer to record that women are traveling with Jesus as he's doing ministry. So this is interesting to me on a couple levels. One, this is kind of breaking social norms of the day. Uh, you, You see... And it was not uncommon for rabbis to have men following them around as they left. You kind of had to give yourself over to your rabbi and follow them. But this concept of having women follow someone who the culture perceived as a prophet was different. There was not really, it wasn't a co-ed thing back then. It was breaking a societal norm. If Jesus wanted to, he could have chosen all women to be apostles, right? He could have had the power and authority to do that. But the question then has to come back to this here. You know, why is Luke pointing this out? A couple of reasons, I think. First and foremost, I think Luke wants us to see the importance of women in kingdom work. These women have, are working with their hands, giving what they have earned to further kingdom ministry. They are being highlighted. Now, let me make it very clear. Uh, I am what is referred to as a complementarian. That's a very big fancy word that means I believe that God created men and women equal, but gave them different and distinct roles. This is traced all the way back to creation. There is another view that I personally used to hold. You probably don't know this, but your pastor used to be more liberal than he is now. Uh, And that's called egalitarianism. And egalitarianism is a big fancy word that just means women and men are created equal. Therefore, women can do whatever men can do. Men can do whatever women can do. I used to hold that view and position. And when it came to this issue of, say, for example, women in ministry, I thought, well, there's no problem with that. Because here was my line of reasoning. Can a woman exegete scripture and render down the meaning of a passage? Answer me. Interact with me. Yes, she can. In fact, the best article I have ever read, the best scholarly article for exegeting 
John chapter 3 of what it meant for the water and the spirit to be born when Jesus talking to Nicodemus came from a female scholar who made some points I had never considered and she was right on the money, okay? So women can render the meaning of a text down and can interpret scripture. That's not a problem. Can women stand up in front of people and communicate the willed intent of that message? Yes, they can. There is not an issue if they, they can't do that. Particularly in the Bible, it's actually commanded. Women should teach women. Can women do pastoral ministry? Can they hold little old men, little old ladies' hands or, or men and women as they've gone through divorces and they need the help where they're hurting? You better believe it. Probably better than I can. Some of the women here are probably better at that than I am. So it's not an issue of can women pastor? They absolutely have all the ability to pastor. That's not the right question. The question is this. Has God ordered the home and the church in a way that most honors him? Uh, pragmatically, can women get results and have growth? Well, sure. But it's not an issue of pragmatism. It's an issue of how has God prescribed it? Has God made men and women's roles different? And I think the answer to that is a resounding yes. And I'm glad that he has. Children benefit from their mother and their father and the distinctions that are there, right? They learn things from their mother that are not learned from their father. Most mothers teach their children how to be tender and compassionate, and they need that, right? And they learn from their fathers how to be tough, usually. Sometimes that's flip, but usually that's the case. How to take risk, right? On the other side, their mothers teach them what? How to be responsible, how to, how to stay on track, how to make sure things go and pace well. We need those distinction and roles. Every little boy loves his mother and has a special relationship with her, but there comes a point where every little boy doesn't want to be mothered by mom anymore until he goes to get married, then he wants to marry his mother, right? That's what happens. And little, boy, and little daughters have a special relationship with their daddies, right? Uh, and there's part of us that never wants our daddies to stop being dad, right? We want to be able to turn there with them and to them for help. So the fact here, though, is while I'm not an egalitarian, I'm going to say this about my complementarian friends, my brothers and brothers in Christ. <clears throat> Sometimes complementarians don't do a good job of highlighting the importance of women to kingdom work. When, when women make contributions like Luke is highlighting here, sometimes that's not highlighted like it should be. But, because I'm going to tell you something. I know this as a pastor. If all the women suddenly stopped their support in some way to the church, the work of the church would come to a screeching halt, right? The, the, the work of women is not always often highlighted enough as it should be. And here in this text it's celebrated. And here at Grace Baptist Church it should be celebrated as well. How women contribute to the continuation of kingdom ministry, right? Uh, how many of you have had a tremendous in impact in your spiritual growth because of a woman in a church or a woman in your family? Raise your hand if a woman's made a significant impact in your spiritual journey. One of the women who made a huge impact in my life is dying this week. My mentoring pastor's wife, Dot Wallace, she's probably going to be taken home to be with the Lord this week. She's 86 years old. She made a huge contribution to me as I was very young in the faith and encouraging me to move forward. So Luke wants us to have a good balance here. Some, some complementarians just want to, you know, almost not even talk about the contribution that women make to the church. And that's not right either. And Luke is pointing us out here and saying, look, this is a reality. It needs to be seen and needs to be celebrated. Okay. Uh, that is a word 
on women and their role and support in the kingdom. Now moving forward, we're moving now into a true parable, okay? First part here opens up with relationships. We're seeing relationships here with these these women had with Jesus and the their leaders. And you know, I've, as I was thinking about this passage this week, I, I couldn't help but think of the cults and new religious movements I studied in school, in seminary. You know, cults, C-U-L-T-S. Guys like uh, Jim Jones, you know him. Uh, guys like uh, David Bird and the family. Does anybody remember that cult that kind of sprang up in California? And uh, cults like the Joseph Smith and Mormonism. What we've seen is a lot of the women who followed these cult leaders, these cult leaders took advantage of them. But one distinction we see in the gospel is these women that follow Jesus, he does not take advantage of them. Instead, he returns them into the church and into their families, better able to love God and love their family. Isn't that a mark of a good leader? You know, I was thinking about this week. Who would I trust my wife with? Like, I just, how would you feel, men, if you're, you know, because one of these women, you know, her, her husband, he couldn't just off and leave. He was well off. You know, he was one of Herod's, you know, financial keepers there. It, she leaves and she's following him around in what many have called Jesus's tourism section here. He's moving from town to town. How would you men feel just turn your wife over to follow a prophet around like that? And I thought, that would scare me. There's really only one man I would feel comfortable doing that with, and that's Christ, isn't it? I would happily turn my wife over to Christ because I know that Christ will return her better than she was as he teaches her how to love him better and then love her family better. And men, there's something there for us to think about too. It should always be far be it from us to ever stop or slow the growth of our wives or our daughters as they continue to chase after Jesus Christ. We should never hamper that or ever be a, a hindrance to that. All right, now I'm done talking about women and kingdom. Now let's move forward to the parable, okay? In this parable here, we're learning a few things. As we've been moving through this, we have seen Luke is saying, who is Jesus? And he is answering that. But in this chapter, the question is different. The question is this, not who is Jesus. The question is, who is Jesus's real followers? Because there's crowds that are following him everywhere. And this is fairly early on in his ministry, right? I mean, he's healed people. We've seen one woman that was healed here, you know, forgiven and following him around and continue with that. But who are their true believers? And we need a message like this here in East Tennessee, Northeast Tennessee, because if you look at the obituaries, we're batting a thousand in, in the obituaries. You know, so-and-so died and went to heaven. Like, I am yet to see one obituary, I think, here in Carter County where somebody did not go to heaven. And the reality is not everybody in Carter County goes to heaven. So the question then becomes, how do we siphon out what a true believer looks like? What are the marks here? of a true believer, and it's given to us in this parable, all right? Uh, verses 4 through 15 is the first true real parable that we're going to unfold. Now, I've got three words to help you work through this. I'm going to say them first, then we're going to say them together, okay? The three words are this, root, shoot, and fruit, all right? That's simple enough, those three. Let's say them together. Root, shoot, and fruit, if the seed does not take accurately, something will be missing. Because here's one of the first main things we're seeing Jesus pointing us to, to. Those who are truly saved, how do we know if they're truly saved? It's a matter of reproduction. Let's look at this. 
first of all here, we see that some of the seed falls on hard ground. Now, it should be noted here. Jesus does not say that the sower inspects the ground before he throws the seed, right? He doesn't say, well, this ground looks good to throw the seed. How many of you are raising a garden this year or, or trying to raise some sort of fruit that will pay you? Nobody in here? One or two? Okay, well, I'll tell you this. In the other service, there were several farmers, and here there are none. So for all you non-farmers, when you're trying to find a place to put your tomato plants out, you got to have what? You need sunlight, right? You got to have a place where you can get water to them because there's seasons of drought here in East Tennessee. You got to be able to water them. So you need to be close enough to get water to them. And there's a few things. So you're checking the soil for where it's at. That's not the case in the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower is throwing the seed out to all different types of soil. What does that mean? There's a principle here. The principle here is this. You give the word of God to all people. You don't discriminate. I'm not going to give them the word because of how they smell. Nope. Sorry. That doesn't work. Not going to give them the word because of how they look. Nope. That doesn't work. Not going to give them the word because of the people they hang out with. Nope. You give the word to all. Okay. So let's talk about this. First group. Those who fell on the hard ground. Here, the pathway, the devil snatches the word from their hearts. One principle we see is this. The seed hits the ground there. The seed never takes what? It never takes root. The word of God apparently hits their ears. And as quickly as it hits their ears, it's pulled away. They stop thinking about it. Okay? It's over. That's the first group. Not believers. No saving faith. No, no existence of that. No fruit. No, no shoot, no root, nothing. Look at the second group. Then there's the second group, the stony ground. We're right on the edge here of Stony Creek. Well, really, we're on the edge of Lynn Valley, which is neither Stony Creek nor Elizabethan. It is somewhere in between. Stony Creek don't want us in Lynn Valley, and neither does Elizabethan, so we live somewhere in between. But if you go up Stony Creek, you know there's places where the soil is rocky, where if you plant there, uh, when a hard, hot, harsh day comes out, like we're supposed to get this week up in the 90s, then the, the root system that has gone in there quickly does what? Dries up, right? So here in this one, the stony ground, word enters the heart, but it does not change the life, okay? It appears to have a shoot, right? But then heat is turned up on them. Intellectual doubts set in, life circumstances set in, emotional fears. I've heard this before from people. Well, if I trust Jesus and I adopt this and I live this way, then what this means is all of my family members who have died without knowing Jesus are now in hell. I can't suffer that thought. I can't deal with that weight. Uh, my family, they, don't, they think I'm some kind of weird radical. I, I can't deal without having that support system. I need that support system of my family and friends. They don't get it. And so this emotional heat is turned up and they shrivel away and they fall away. Then the third group, okay? Third group here is the thorny ground. There is in the second one, first one, no root, no shoot. Second one, root and shoot, no fruit. Let's look at the third one. Those with no fruit, the thorny ground. What is this? This is shallow faith. Shallow faith. There's enough dirt that it takes root. Probably enough dirt that they're, they could, in theory, uh, become a good, good fruit producer. But what happens? Verse 13. 
tells us there, right? They receive the word of God with joy. Many times they'll come down here, have a white hot passion for the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And there is a joy that is there right away. But as reality sets in, the tune begins to change. Uh, there's lots of uh, stony crown in ministry. And then there's a lot of this I have seen over the years. There's a kind of, I would almost call this more of an emotional response. There is this, then when the season of testing comes, do they remain as joyful when their family reject them? Do they remain as joyful when financial hardship comes? Do they remain as joyful whenever their health or the health of their precious child or spouse is taken away? The testing comes and they fall away because the, the, the faith is shallow. It is not producing. So there is a root, there is a shoot, and look at the language here in this verse. It is choked out. Like you think about somebody choking somebody else, right? These thorns just choke them out. All these cares and burdens choke them out. I'm going to say this this morning because this is painful and true and it needs to be addressed in our hearts and lives. I was working once in another state with a believer who um, we'd been working with them on a sin issue and, and they had repented and they said, well, I'm just not... When I come in service, everybody's going to be staring at me. They're going to know, whatever. I said, I'm going to tell you something. I said, this is, this is a sad indictment of the church, but it's true. Most people in the church on Sunday morning are more wrapped up and more concerned with the own, their own burdens in their life that they can't even look up and see the other people around them. You know what that is? That's kindly a problem, right? You know, this is a tactic of the devil and your own flesh. If he can distract you from others and all you can see is yourself, God is small and you are big and the others around you are big. Jesus is saying here, the person in this category, all the other people around them are big and God is small, okay? And he's calling here, he's saying, this is not true believer. Those who have had the burdens of this world choked out. Are there any examples in the New Testament of people who fall in this category of faith? Yes, there is. Some of the saddest scripture passages in the entirety of the New Testament are found at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul's last words before he dies, before he faces trial. He talks about an individual who traveled with him named, does anybody know? Demas. Demas can be found in multiple parts of the New Testament as a co-worker, a fellow laborer in the gospel. And what happens to Demas? Paul says what? Demas has abandoned me for the love of what? This present world. So Demas is an example of this kind of soil. And I don't know what it was. Paul doesn't say whether it was love or money or what it was. The love of a, of a woman or someone else doesn't say, but he's gone. And then finally, we have the only soil that I would argue and Jesus is arguing for as saving. And that is one that has a root that has a shoot and has what? Fruit, right? That's the last one, they reproduce. The point is this, if I am a believer, I will bear fruit. I will, I will, I will, I will. Um, don't, don't make my job hard if I have to preach your funeral, okay? That probably sounds bad to some of you because you're maybe a ways out from having a funeral, but it's always taxing on a pastor you know, when they came in, this is a situation that happened to me in Kentucky when I was pastoring there. This lady died. I'd never heard of her. Been at the church for a year. Didn't even know who she was. 
and I went to visit the family. They reached out and went to visit them. They said, oh, our mother was so faithful. Faithful. She hadn't, I started talking to the, you know, the core membership of the church. She hadn't been a part of the body for like 15 years, 16 years, okay? She, she hadn't darkened the doorstep of the church. Not that that saves you, but listen, if you're avoiding the bride of Christ, there's a problem there, right? You shouldn't be avoiding the bride of Christ. So there's a, there's a fruit issue there. And uh, so I'm like, you know, they talked about how faithful she was. And she had a hymn book on her piano at her house when I went over there. So you know what I said in my sermon? Because I didn't know how I was going to get around this. I said, boy, she sure was faithful to her family. That's what I said. Because she was. That wasn't a lie. I just didn't say she was faithful to the Lord and to fruit production as Jesus talks about here because I couldn't say that. So don't, don't put me in a hard situation at your funeral. Be fruit producers, right? Produce now so that when I preach your funeral, it's a joy for me to point at those things, okay? True salvation is more than emotions or white-hot passion or just simply identification. I've seen it so many times. Somebody comes down, Lord, save me. I won't tell you my testimony. I used to drink and smoke and chew and went with all the girls who do. And now God has saved me. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. And we like to put them up here on stage, hear their testimony. And then three or four months later, the FBI can't even find them, man. They're gone, right? Because it's salvation is not emotional. It's not just passion. It's not just identity. It is fruit production, right? Right? That's going to be a sign that it happened in, in that person's life. All right. Now, let me move forward here a little further to why we have this passage the way that we do here. I want to say something about listening to preaching since this is about how the Word of God hits the ear and then what happens there. I don't know how you think about preaching. I don't know if you think I need to go to preaching because my mama told me so or mamma told me so or if you come to preaching because... You're institutionally loyal and you've been at this church your whole life. Or if you come to preaching because you're going to build your business and this is a great way to do it after the sermon's over and you have a common thing that you all went through so you can connect with them easily. Or if you come to preaching for any of those reasons. I want to highlight a couple of verses here to show you what I think preaching really is. When you're Not just for me, but for you sitting down listening to preaching. Preaching is warfare. It's warfare. Think about this parable you've just heard, okay? Satan and his forces will do everything they can to grab the truth from your heart and mind. When you are listening to Scripture and you're listening to preaching, there is a battle going on around you and in you, whether you realize it or not, okay? Listen to what Jesus said here. Jesus makes this clear in this parable, right? He says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, Uh, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known. And then look at 18. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. You know, some people have varying degrees of truth they can hold and have. And then, you know, it's, it's very similar to the parable of the talent, right? Whatever Jesus has given, if it's not used, not pursued, there's not an active active preparing there. I've heard people come in before and say, preacher, I come here on Sunday morning, get filled up on my gas tank and go back out. Friend, you view preaching and listening to preaching wrong. You should be coming in all week worshiped up, 
when your worship time one-on-one prayerfully prepared to hear from God from his word you know that that's what we're dealing with here it's not about filling tanks it's not right it's about learning truth that truth being implanted and becoming a doer of what is being preached okay so it's not about coming in here getting filled I mean I through the years I'm telling you I have heard I remember there's one guy I didn't share this in the last service but that's the joy of being the second service I can always add illustrations that I think will work better I had a guy one time come in on a Sunday night. He come in there, very arrogantly took a, a seating position there and was very sort of gruff with the members there. And I went back to greet him and said, oh, welcome to our church, whatever. And he said, I'm just here to see if you're up to snuff. And he sat back there. And I thought, well, what I wanted to say was, the door's right there, friend. Thanks for coming. When your heart's right and you're, you've entered in here with a heart that is ready to worship the King of Kings and receive his word, come back in but in the meanwhile you can go spend some time with God alone somewhere if that's really the attitude that's there that's not what the the hearing of the word is about right Jesus tells us right that the one who hears right who is able to hear are your ears ready to hear when you come in this morning see here's what the marks in this passage are if we had to boil it down there's four things that Jesus has told us here four identifying markers of true believers and here they are if you're a note taker here they are I'm going to say this twice number one fruit production you produce fruit in keeping with the spirit of God and you produce other disciples two light shining you are shining a light of the truth of the gospel where it's not being shown in your own life and the life of others three you're a word doer what did Jesus say at the end right remember how I said uh, at the beginning this this passage starts with relationships. It ends with relationships. As Jesus is making this tour all the way around, he finally comes back to Nazareth, his hometown, and his brothers and, and his mom are like, you know what, let's go see him. And then we see this passage here, and as East Tennesseans and Appalachians, we see this comment he makes, who are my brothers and sisters? It feels like he's denying his own flesh and blood, which is unthinkable for many of us that are, are mountain folk. You, you know, we are people of roots and of family. How could anyone deny their family. But what does he say here? True believers are what? Those who do the word, right? Gosh, he sounds a lot like James, doesn't he? Or rather, James sounds a lot like him. And then finally, they're faith keepers. So the four marks of a true believer, fruit producer, a light shiner, a word doer, and a faith keeper. True salvation is more than passion, emotions, or identity. Demons can do that. Demonic faith can mimic that. True saving faith is holding fast, shining forth, and living out faith that God has us through Jesus Christ. That's what a true believer is. I would love to see obituaries written this way, wouldn't you? I mean, this would be great. I, you probably don't think about death as much as I do because I deal with death a lot, but I would love for somebody to write on my obituary he was a faithful producer for the kingdom he let the light shine wherever he went he was a doer of the word he was a keeper of the faith man i would love to see that in more obituaries wouldn't you wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony to leave behind what about you this morning where are you what soil are you today how has the gospel changed you how has it changed how you interact with other people can you say wholeheartedly i'm a doer i'm a faith keeper I'm a light shiner. Is that you? 
or has the word quick, is the word quickly snatched from you? I was listening to 88.3 today and, you know, one of the songs they were singing said, what if the church on Monday was, what if the church on Sunday was the same church on Monday? Well, that can be applied individually, right? Are you the same person Monday as you were this morning? Do people see that clearly? Is there a consistency there? Or is it something different? If not, this morning, God is calling you. He's calling you to be faithful to that last soil, to, to hear the word and do the word. The question is, how will you respond? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word today. How good and right it is. Lord, as we seek to be those who are producers for you and your kingdom, help us to do so mindfully, well. Lord, as we leave this place, help us to remain consistent. Help us to be a people who others know clearly. Lord, I'm thankful for the testimony of these women here, women who faithfully gave all for the kingdom. And God, I'm thankful here that we can be called brothers and sisters to Christ. If we will do these things, if we will repent and believe, and from that produce, God. We love you and we thank you for this. In Christ's name, amen. This morning you've heard the gospel proclaimed. It's not by what we do, but rather what we do is a direction of what we believe. What do you believe this morning? Have you repented? Have you trusted Christ? It is impossible to bear fruit without it. If you haven't done that this morning, won't you do that now? I'll be in the back to pray with you or or be there for you as we sing this song of response. Please stand.